featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, welcome from the Crop Doctors podcast studio in Stoneville. Tom's here. Tom. Hi. I don't ever have a good intro for you. Just Tom's here. Yeah, I know. I gotta and, come up. and I don't ever say much more than either hi or hello I gotta or good afternoon with, or good morning. I got to come up with something better than that. And Trent's here. Hey. In How's person. That? We had talked to Trent a couple times back during the winter on the phone, but he's out running the roads now, so we were able to wrangle him onto the station in the podcast studio for a few minutes. So we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day, Trent. Glad to be here. When's the last time we actually crossed paths that wasn't on a video? Not screen? on a video? I don't I couldn't tell you. I uh, talked to you on the phone when fall, I was maybe? in Starkville last year, but I don't know that I actually saw you last year. I remember you sitting in here during the fall when the tropical storms and stuff were coming That's right. through. That may be that may be the last time. It was a strange winter. No meeting. How's the family? Doing well. Well, both girls, you're you're outnumbered. I am severely outnumbered, but I love it. See, we're two on Playing two. Playing some softball now. We're having fun with that. We're two on two now. So as soon as little man gets mobile and starts talking. Got some backup. Yeah, I got backup then. Because uh, the four-year-old, wow, she uses all of the words at once. So, Trent, I got a question for you before we dive off into soybeans. It's a little bit before your time because I know you're just a young buck. But what was your favorite episode of MacGyver? I got nothing for you on that one. Come on, man. MacGyver. I know MacGyver, but I haven't seen an episode of MacGyver in a See, long time. if you paid enough attention to network television, you could have hit him back with original MacGyver. That's a fact. Yep. Or MacGyver reboot. Well, if it makes you feel any better, he references my young age. My mind goes to original MacGyver. I know there's a reboot. That's good. That's but good. I'm proud original of MacGyver it. would be my choice if I was to choose between the two to watch. It, it would be mine, too. Of course. I mean, much better series. And, you know, the mullet. I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, I'll just be honest, though. Uh, network television in my house, if it's not the Disney Channel or, or something to do with princesses, <laughs> it didn't really get watched. Yeah, just if it's not on Netflix right now, we're really not paying much attention to it. Okay, well, that one crashed and burned. Should have asked that one to Don. Make a note, Tom. We'll, we'll ask Don that one next time. Okay, I have that in my mind. If he doesn't have an episode in mind, he has a MacGyver reference. Do you well, think Don yeah. watches the new MacGyver? I, I just can't see him watching. you got to hit Don with one. like, favorite metal song or would you prefer prefer attending a glenn danzig concert i would like to know what his favorite metallica song is. henry rollins well see now you're letting the cat out of the bag a lot of people know don and they don't know what what a metalhead he is they don't know that he rides up and down the road listening to judas priest it gives an entirely new perspective on dr cook it was (laughs) eye-opening when i first learned about don's musical preferences at this point in the year, we obviously need to discuss some of these, and I hesitate to say early season herbicide applications, but I think definitely not having the winter meetings, discussing and presenting some of the new information as it relates to dicamba applications is definitely on the forethought of most farmers' minds at this point in the year. So we just call it post-emergence herbicide applications. I think when you were on before, we touched on some pre's and stuff. I, I know we at least mentioned like 
late burn downs and probably got into a little bit of pre's. That's been a while back now. We talked a little bit about injury and, and things that's that right. would come along. Yeah, because we were talking about replants yeah. and, and herbicides. And we did talk right. about PPO herbicides and mm-hmm. how those may be related to and or look similar to some seedling disease issues. Knock on wood, up to this point, we've done okay with with herbicide injury from those pre-applications, to my knowledge. Are you hearing anything? Same here. I, I think, really, we're off to a pretty good start, considering, you know, eight out of the last ten years. The spring has been really good for us so far. Well, and I think then, obviously, one of the first topics we need to consider would be application date cutoff. Has that changed for 2021? Is that something farmers need to consider? Well, I think everybody knows by now that we, and we being Mississippi State, did not handle the dicamba applicator training this year. That was changed, and the Bureau of Plant Industries asked the manufacturers to do that. So y'all mentioned uh, not having the meetings this winter. We didn't have those meetings either. And we had, I guess we had those scheduled last year for 2020, the week everything shut we down. We were literally cranking the truck up to go do these yeah. when they shut us down. Yeah, we had we had everything ready to go. And I just remember sitting at my house and texting people that I knew that were kind of in the areas like, hey, not postponed, 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 and then ultimately canceled. Where we are now in the year, hopefully everyone has done their applicator training and so i think a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning is in the applicator training but there have been quite a few updates to those labels and to the websites that are associated with those products the first thing would be and i know tom you mentioned the cutoffs and i'll i'll get back to that but fexapan to my knowledge is off the market trend that's my understanding Corteva made a decision to no longer market that product. With that being gone, we're down to three. So there's Extendamax with Vapor Grip from Bayer, Tavium with Vapor Grip from Syngenta, and then Ingenia from BASF. The cutoffs, and you know, we can talk about cotton too, just because the differences between soybeans and cotton, I think the cutoff is probably the biggest difference between the two that I can think of, Trent. That's my understanding. In Genia, the cutoff is June 30th, and that's what it says. It's June 30th. The other two are kind of a whichever comes first. Extendamax and Tavium both say June 30th, but then Extendamax says or R1, and Tavium says or V4. So you're June 30th or one of those growth stages. Trent, why don't you just make a comment about V4 and R1 because in my mind, those two are going to be pretty close together in a lot of situations. They will not be that many days apart, really. Uh, And then, you know, I guess, well, let me back up and say the the cutoff date versus the cutoff growth stage will largely depend on planting date. At least where we are today, a lot of our acres will certainly reach cutoff growth stage well ahead of cutoff planting date. So V4. You mean cutoff application date? Yes, application date. So cutoff application date. V4, obviously four nodes on a plant. So you're talking about from emergence to V4, three to four weeks. 
good in growing a wide row soybean of pretty small. That's a pretty bean. small bean. That's right. So R1, first flower on the plant, uh, anywhere. That's that's usually 35 days, five to six weeks after after planting is when you get to that part. Again, on a wide row, a boot top tall kind of small bean still. I think the important point to make there is then that those application cutoff dates may differ by product. That's exactly what it means. And the planting date, like Trent alluded to, the planting date, and that's going to be huge because it's a little bit of a moving target. Not really, but it's a little bit of a moving target. Well, in our in our system, so when, when you're looking at a end of June date, cutoff application date, and you look at our goal of planting in April and May, early May, for our full season crop, uh, the cutoff date would be more in line with uh, impacting a wheat bean kind of scenario or soybeans that get planted behind floodwaters that have had to wait to the water recedes to get planted, situations like that. So that in that case, you may reach the date before you reach the growth stage. And I think we have both of that. We will. This year, certainly don't have near as many flooded acres as we've had the past few years. Fortunately. Definitely in the South Delta, the backwater area, but there's other areas in the Delta that that experience flooded conditions in the, this time of the year too. But then we did also have a significant amount of wheat this year. Remains to be seen how many of those acres will be double cropped, but we had more wheat this year than we've seen in several years, When you say, Tom? Yes, I, I would say that's about right. I didn't see near as many acres burned down as cover crop at least as what I had the last three to five years. And I think with the soybean, you know, market prices where they are, it's, it's, if that holds till that point, then we'll definitely see more of those acres actually get replanted into double crop beans. Plant every acre of it you can. Every bit of it. Yeah, and some of that may also depend in some of those parts of the state based on where they received floodwaters and where they didn't because some of those acres that have had a good portion or a good portion of our acreage that have had wheat on them have also sustained some flood injury the last few years. Before we move off the cutoff dates, I I said I would mention cotton. So the cutoff for cotton is July 30th or the six-leaf stage. And I would say if we have any kind of a normal, you know, series of weeks for for planting that will definitely hit the uh, growth stage cut off on that before we get the calendar date cut off. What additional label changes have occurred since last year? And really, I'm talking specifically about any of these buffering adjuvants or buffering additives to the tank when making applications of products that contain dicamba. Trent, uh offer you the floor and welcome your comment or I'll tackle it. Just go ahead and tackle it. (laughs) (laughs) There have been some updates and it gets complicated. All three of the products now require a pH buffering adjuvant. And that's just in the interest of getting more of that product in there to buffer the pH, which influences the volatility. So those are at times referred to as volatility reduction adjuvant. Related to that, there's also the drift reduction adjuvant. I mentioned complicated, and I think this is where it gets complicated, and you really have to rely on the websites to know what you need to mix for your application. 
for example, if you mix dual magnum with Extendamax or Ingenia, then you have to add an additional drift reduction adjuvant. But if you mix Warrant with Extendamax or Ingenia, so basically your same use pattern, right? This would be a, an early post application to include a group 15 herbicide as dual magnum or Warrant. Warrant does not require the addition of a drift reduction adjuvant. So that's what I meant when I said it can get complicated because you really got to rely on those websites to know what you got to pour in the tank before you mix it. And then you can really get into what at times can be, depending on how many active ingredient tank mix partners you get in there, you can get into a lengthy list of stuff that's getting shot into the tank. I think the take home with that whole topic is is relying on these websites and the information presented there. If my memory serves me correctly, when you when you look through those lists of tank mix partners and additives for these applications, there's footnotes and and details that that will instruct what should go with which product that you're putting in that tank. So that to me would be an excellent resource. And they're set up different, the websites. I mean, so we were looking through them before we hit record and I was looking on the laptop and Trent was looking on his phone and, and you said which one was easier to navigate on your phone? I was on the Ingenia one on my phone and, and that website to me was, was pretty easy to navigate yeah. from, a, from an iPhone anyway. And I think the Ingenia site and the Tavium site, they give you lists of the products, a long scroll, but you're just kind of scanning, looking for your product name on the Extendamax one. They have a search function in there. So if you say, helpful. all right, I want to mix this with it, you search for it and it's either there or it's not. And then if it is there, then it'll give you the additional information of whether it requires that drift reduction adjuvant. And on, I know on the Ingenious site, that requirement is footnoted by each of the uh, products. So, for instance, Dual Magnum is going to have a superscript one byte or two or whatever the footnote is that says, hey, you got to add this to the tank too. And I almost want to interject what I hear y'all saying is maybe do that from something with a larger screen than what you have available on your iPhone. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it in the heat of battle, and so that, to speak. And I know it would work in a pinch. But I, yeah. I know that sometimes we're in a hurry, and that's just easier to do it if that's what you're doing right there when you're standing next to the actual ground rig that you're planning on making that application from to determine what you need to do last minute. But there may be some planning involved in some of that prior to actually pouring all your jugs of product into the actual applicator. Related to Centris, which is BASF's pH buffering adjuvant for Ingenia, just hearing from a couple people that have already made an application, put the Centris in the tank first. If you don't, if you shoot it in on top of the herbicide, then you're going to get a bubbly, foamy mess. So make sure the Centris goes in the tank first. It's a water conditioning agent, so... That's how we should utilize a water conditioning agent, whatever I said prior to that. But it's a water conditioning agent, so that's how we should use that. It should go into the tank with half to two-thirds of the total volume. Let that circulate so you condition that majority of the water volume first and then shoot the rest of the stuff into the spray tank. Just as we sit here and we talk about this, I go back to whatever year it was we first started talking at all of our meetings about these applications and the requirements and just thinking about the comments we made those years ago about how these requirements evolve and change and staying up to date with it. And here we are 
three years, four years later, whatever it is. And again, they're they're still evolving. I was going to say your original conversations at any of the meetings was there were no TACMEX components <laughs> at all. There were no TACMEX additional components that you could put in there as related to either herbicides or insecticides or something else. And one of the things that has recently changed tends to be different formulations of glyphosate and how those can relate to tank mix partners. Are there some specifics as related to those formulations of glyphosate that are important to mention today? Yes. The potassium salts are approved in general, to the best of my memory, are approved for tank mix partners. The IPA salts are not. I think that's right. And the length of the list of products, and I didn't completely cross-reference the list, but between Extendamax and Ingenia, those lists were not identical. I think they were yes. all potassium salts, but they, the lists were not identical. So all those other glyphosates are still out there. You hear us say IPA salt. Well, that's an isopropylamine salt of glyphosate, which I think originally like Roundup Ultra maybe. Ultra Max, maybe those Some were IPA that I salts. Seen in a while. And then there was the DMA salt, the dimethylamine salt, and that's even an older version of, you know, if you're talking about the Roundup product line. And then there's products out there that are combinations of different salts of glyphosate. And those would be excluded from the approved tank mix because they have those other salts and they're not potassium salts. And I'm not getting any of that from manufacturers. That's me gleaning information off those websites. So I assume that what I'm saying there is correct. But again, that information is listed on the website. So Yes. It's specifically listed on all three of those websites. Okay. So application specifics. And I realize that that particular topic covers a lot of information. But as that would relate to ground speed of the applicator, as well as something like water volume and specifics as they relate to spray tips. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we had a lot of changes to, to these requirements. Yeah, they were big, maybe in 19, because then we had so. like a 17, 18 label and then a 19, 20 label. And I think the, the 19, right. 20 picked up a lot of these areas of the application. So in the progression of events, we're, we got our training done, we're mixed correctly, and you know, now we're hopefully on the way to the field. Wind speed. I yeah, started to, I started to say, speed. yeah, I started to say restrictions, but the, the things you got to look for going to make the application, you know, the wind speeds are 3 to 10 miles an hour. Don't spray if it's completely calm, and don't spray if it's above 10 miles an hour. Ground speed, less than 15 miles an hour application volume minimum 15 gallons per acre which can cause some heartburn at times because more water volume means you got to fill up more which slows the operation down but if you combine that with the nozzle requirements if i'm not wrong i would assume it still says an ultra coarse droplet size trent yes that's that's what i go by but again any specific questions, all of those nozzles yeah, are listed on the website. You link the list of approved nozzles on those websites. But if you're putting out an ultra-coarse droplet at a low water volume on a really, really small weed, physics 
says that you got a pretty good chance of just physically missing it. And then it looks like your application failed or didn't perform to your expectation when it may have done exactly what it needed to do. There was just some individual plants out there that you physically missed in the application. So I think that's why that minimum 15 gallon per acre application volume is there to help compensate for that ultra coarse droplet size in a post-emergence herbicide application. And then what about time of day for application? Obviously, that's pretty important because you did say don't spray when there's no wind. But I'm trying to remember when, when, when that wind. got added. Is that a new one? That Was that in 20? No, that might have been a... 19? It might not have been 19. It might have been like an amendment for 2020. We've done so many trainings and then talked about it when we weren't actually training, but just you know doing presentations about it and then updates and different products. I really can't remember specifically, but it's an hour after sunrise to two hours before sunset. That's the time of day when it's legal to apply these products. That can get restrictive, particularly if you combine the wind speed requirements with it. You know, you can lose days not being able to legally spray, and, and that can get frustrating. It, it can get frustrating, especially when you're dealing with a, a weed that's going to grow as hard and fast as a Palmer amaranth can. It can get away from you in a hurry, uh, and then you're forced to do things or consider doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. So really, I mean, the, the, the idea on these post-emergence applications is to, to be aware, be aware of when these pre's are breaking uh, know, know when, when you're starting to get this flush of weeds and, and, and try to plan well ahead to, to make a timely application in order to get these things before they get out of the growth stage or what is it, four inch, a four inch maximum weed size. That's what the labels so. say. But that's what the prefix label says. That's, that's right. what the Liberty label says. That's not. Just as a general rule of thumb, our, our goal is to, to target small weeds, easier, right. to, easier to manage. I would say the one specific topic that we maybe haven't addressed is just as it relates to record keeping. And I know that there is a list of specifics as they relate to that, and I'm sure that neither of you want to address that, but what things should be considered from a record keeping standpoint? Well, I definitely can't recite the list of things that's required off the top of my head. And I do think that that is one of the frustrating parts of this technology is the amount of information that you've got to capture in order to to make a legal application. So some of the things are your use rate, all the general stuff, time of day, date, those types of things. And then I think it's date, you know, the time, the wind speed, the crop you're applying to, the target weeds, start and stop times. And probably, did you say wind speed? Wind speed and temperature. Wind speed, air temperature, wind well. direction. And didn't they have some specific as it related to where that weather station had to be? I don't remember that, but I do remember that a majority of them were just pretty logical things that you would probably have right. if you were a, a pretty tight record keeper to start with. But then there's a few that are just, man. You know, I got to go find something to capture this information. But again, it's all that's listed on those websites. At one point, when this first started, I think a lot of the retailers had sheets available that you could. That's you what know, I was about to say. I think there product. are 
our yeah. template record keeping sheets that right. are available. So this to is download. not something that you really got to go hunt down and oh, I only got nineteen out of twenty of them captured. I think you can see the list and and know the information that you've got to get down pretty quickly. Well, I, I think y'all covered a tremendous amount of complex information, and and I think that's something that the listeners need to understand. That's not something we're in charge of. We're just relaying the information that's out there as it relates to those specific dicamic containing products. And I know that it it's, sounds like, based on what you all said, that it's just as frustrating for you two being weed scientists as it is for those people that are actually making these applications at the field level. But with that in mind, is there any anything else that either of you see that maybe we didn't cover specifically? Tom, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but as you said, it's complicated for us, and this is what we do. And so, of course, it's going to be complicated for the guy that's only doing this a couple times a year. We acknowledge that and, of course, are here to help any way we can. You know, I'll look at the website for you if that helps you make a good application and feel good about you know, your operation, I'm more than happy to help however I can. Well, and I know sometimes when we all get tired, sometimes it helps to just have that conversation with somebody. It's a fresh set of eyes. Is this really what I'm seeing? I want to make sure that I'm actually reading this correctly. Definitely worth taking the time to have a conversation. And with that, I think it's important to continue to thank our regular listeners. We really appreciate the feedback. Keep that coming. With that, we're here to help. If you need anything from those of us here in Stoneville and Starkville, pick up the phone, call us, track us down. It's usually not difficult to track us down during the field season. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.